for the last several weeks, the last five weeks, um, we've been walking through this series called Hope Beyond. And really what it is, is it's a series through the book of First Peter in the New Testament. So if you've got your Bible um, or your phone and you've got a Bible app, go ahead and find your way to First Peter. It's toward the end of the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 3 today, so you can make your way there. Um, if you have the Version Bible app, um, our notes are there. If you go to events, you can check, um, you can go to ch- search for Church at Cane Bay, or just search for Cane Bay, and it will come up under events on the Version app, and you can follow along with notes. You also have your program to take notes. We've been encouraging you during this series a couple of things. One, Take some notes as we walk through, because we're walking through verse by verse. Also, we have these books at the back. If you haven't picked up one yet, there's a few left. And these little booklets are kind of like a study guide. They have some more verses that go along with the verses that we're doing today that you can use in your own personal quiet time. As you you spend time with God during the week, um, this will give you some verses to read and some things to pray about as as you do that. So grab one of these. They're on the table at the back, back there. Um, so make your way to First Peter chapter 3, and we'll get there in just a second. But listen, so this is not just a book of the Bible. It is a letter, right? Every week we've been saying this is a letter that Peter wrote to real people living in a real time. In fact, if you look at who Peter's writing to in this letter, he's writing to Christians or followers of Jesus who've been scattered throughout the northern Mediterranean area. Now, this is why you need to know that this is important. Um, these people that Peter's writing to, they've been, per, they've, they've been living under persecution and great suffering, and they're suffering for their faith. They're suffering for their belief in following Jesus. So here's what the Roman Empire said. The emperor and the governing leaders said, listen, these Christians, if we group them together, they'll have power and influence, and they say they worship a king, and it's not me. And so what they said is if we scatter them, if we persecute them, if we cause them suffering, maybe we can kill off the threat that they perceived was in Christianity. So you have to understand these people have lost their homes, their jobs. They've been pushed out of their communities. And we call them exiles or refugees. And that's who Peter is writing to. Now, last week, as we walked through this series, we last week we talked about having hope beyond injustice. So the interesting thing is what Peter writes to them in chapter 2 is he tells them, that even though the emperor Nero is ruthless and tyrannical and awful, that we submit to the emperor for the Lord's sake. Now that sounds crazy. Why would you ever submit to a horrible dictator? And Peter says, because that's what a follower of Jesus would do. Now you can go back and listen to the message, but then he takes it a step further and he says, slaves and masters, like, he, he talks about this whole thing of slaves and masters, and he goes, I know it's unjust. I know it's unfair. He doesn't say it's right at all. He said, but if you find yourself in the position where you have a master who's not good, anyone over you in authority that's unjust or mistreats you, he goes, here's what a follower of Jesus would do. A follower of Jesus would somehow honor and respect the person even when they're not honorable and respectable. Because that's what followers of Jesus do. And we don't do it for their sake. We do it for God's sake. And today, he's going to continue that thought. Now, here's the interesting thing. We're in chapter 3 today, but you're going to notice in just a second as we jump in, remember this is a letter. We've divided the, the Bible into chapters and verses. 
But you know, when it was written, Peter didn't write his letter in chapters and verses. You, you got that? He wrote a letter and people read the whole thing. We divided it into chapters and verses to make it easier to organize and search. Um, but we need to think through the fact that what we just talked about last week, as they're reading this letter, this is just the next thought after that. All right, so, so I'm going to point that out in just a second. But if you've, got, if you've made your way there, First uh, Peter chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Look at this. He says the very first word is likewise. Now stop right there. That's all we're going to read. We're going to talk about that for a minute. The word likewise. Now look at that just a second. What Peter is saying is he's saying, just like what I just said, are you with me? Just like what I said in chapter 2, even though he wouldn't have said chapter 2. You, you, are you, guys, you guys awake? Did you miss that hour of sleep? All right. So he said, just like what I just said, what I'm about to say is just like what I just said. Well, what, would he, what was he saying in chapter 2? Everything I just told you. We submit to authority for God's sake, not for the authority's sake. Not because it's right or just or good for people to mistreat you or do things evil to you. But we submit to it and honor them because we honor God. And he says, likewise, just like the emperor, just like masters and slaves, even though those are horrible things. And look what he says. He says, likewise, wives. All right. You ready for this? I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Just a minute, wives and husbands and everybody in the room. Be gracious for just a little bit with open ears, soft hearts. Listen, because sometimes when you read things for face value, if we listen and we let God speak, you'll see a different perspective. Sometimes we have to put on a different lens to read things through. And I'm going to show you that in just a second. So just be patient, gracious. Ladies, are you with me? Okay, okay. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, hold on for just a second. Let's talk about this. Why is he addressing wives right now? And he's going to address husbands in a little bit, but why is he addressing wives? Well, because just like he addressed people submitted to an emperor that was not so nice, and he addressed servants who may have been serving masters who were unjust, he also knows that wives sometimes live with husbands who aren't very nice either. Are you with me? Wives, if you got it, you're scared to say anything right now. He's dealing culturally with people who would have had a hard time submitting to people who sometimes use their authority in unjust ways. It still happens in our world. But it definitely happened in the world Peter was writing in. Look, look, look at this. He's using examples of people who may have trouble honoring authority because of the culture they lived in. Now, we may not have the same level of ruthless emperors or slaveries of oppression or oppression of women in our context, but we do have some of it, and we can understand what Peter is about to say. So look, look at this. Look at the next thing. He says, wives, be subject. Now, that's the troublesome word, right? That's the hard word. Be subject to your husbands. Because in our culture, we've learned that we don't like being subject to other people. 
We don't like submission to anybody. And yet that's what Peter's been talking about last week and this week is as followers of Jesus, we willingly and voluntarily submit to other people. And he's saying, wives, listen, it's no different for you. Now, here's what I want to tell you. So let me give you a little disclaimer here. Peter's writing in a first century Middle Eastern culture where women did not have the same status or rights that they even do in our culture. In fact, that culture is still very different if you were to travel there today than our culture, right? Like there's there's certain rights that women do not have there that they have in our context. And Peter is writing in that context. And you need to understand it's a very patriarchal society. We have trappings of that still in our society, but you need to understand that. And you see, here's the crazy thing. Many of the early followers of Jesus were women. In fact, so many of them are written about in the New Testament. And women were finding freedom and value and significance and forgiveness in Jesus. They were experiencing the truth and the grace of the gospel. And it was setting them free from the oppression that they had faced for so long. What was happening was Christianity was causing quite a cultural stir. Because now... Women were finding value in who God said they were, not in who society says they are. You understand? Look at this verse. Galatians 3.28, Paul writes this. It's a crazy, radical verse to have been written 2,000 years ago. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen. The world does not think this way. We like to set people over people. We like hierarchy. We like control. We like power. And what Paul is writing is when you come to Jesus, we're all the same. In some sense, we're all equal value-wise, significance-wise. And yes, we may be different. You may be a different color from me, a different gender than me. But guess what? We have the same value in God's eyes. Don't let the world tell you anything different than that. Now, here's the interesting thing. I just said Christianity was causing quite a stir because many women were finding freedom in Christ and then they were deciding, I don't need my husband anymore. I don't need his power and authority over me. I I don't need my stubborn, unbelieving husband because now I have value and significance and I I can follow Jesus. And so what was happening in that culture is all of a sudden things were Division was sometimes being caused by this new freedom and forgiveness that they were finding. In fact, at that time, if you go there today, women in the Middle East often wear head coverings. In many Islamic countries, in in many Middle Eastern countries, they wear head coverings. And if you look at what Paul addresses, is all of a sudden he has to address that because women are saying, I don't have to cover my head anymore. I don't have to hide anymore. And so they were taking off their head coverings, and it was causing quite a bit of division in, in the church and in families and in culture. And look at what Peter, Paul has to address it. Peter has to address it. They're like, yes, you do have freedom in Christ. Yes, but understand that we have a higher calling than just our own personal rights. We have to be cognizant of how we live our lives out, how we live out this freedom. Look at what Peter wrote last week. We looked at this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, 16. Look, he said, live as people who are free. Why? Because you are free. No matter what the world does to you, you're free. But he looked, look what he says. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Why do we submit to other people? 
Why do we even honor people who are dishonorable? Because we're servants of God. And if God calls us to do it for his sake, we will do it because we have a higher mission, a higher authority, a higher calling. Does that make sense? All right, so, so look, in other words, this is the way I would say it. When you discover who you are in Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus and you discover the freedom and forgiveness you have in him, we now submit to God, not out, not out of fear of anyone else. Look, we submit to God voluntarily and we submit to cultural authority voluntarily and we submit to our boss voluntarily and we submit to our husbands or our wives voluntarily. Why? Because we submit to Jesus, not because the culture's right, not because the authority's good, not because the person we're submitting to deserves it, but because we live as servants of the almighty God. Does that make sense? We don't submit to people because they deserve our submission. We submit to people because God does. And he calls us to do it. That's why we submit. That's why we're willing to bow before people who don't deserve our honor, but we're willing to honor because we serve a better king. Peter says in the second part of verse 1, if you look back at it, he says, even, now wives, I'm talking to you for just a minute more, listen. He says, even, even if some, meaning even if some husbands do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. You see that? Even if your husband doesn't obey God, he doesn't, he doesn't know Jesus, he doesn't honor God with the way he lives, they may be one by the conduct of your life. Peter, Peter's talking specifically to wives whose husbands are not following Jesus. And he says, the way you honor and respect them matters a lot. Why does it matter? Because you're displaying the gospel of Jesus to them with the way you live your life. Your humility and honor, even when it's not deserved by your husband, has the potential to point them to Jesus before you even say a word. I don't know if you believe that. Now, without a word doesn't mean you shouldn't talk. Like, please don't read stuff in it that's not not there. It doesn't mean that you don't put words to the truth. It doesn't mean that you don't open your mouth. You do. But listen, there's something that sometimes is louder than words. And the way we live our lives, our character, our honor, our humility are louder than the words we speak sometimes. And what Peter is saying is, wives, listen, I'm asking you, yes, if you have found freedom in Jesus and forgiveness in Jesus, but your husband has not, then listen, just preaching or nagging or reminding won't do the whole job. Like, in fact, what might convince them even more is your humility and honor and respect. <clears throat> it might be more convincing evidence that you now belong to Jesus. Now, let's look at verse 3. Now, <clears throat> if you're not offended so far, you're about to get really offended. So just hold on. Peter says this. Again, don't let's read it for face value and then dig in further. He says, do not let, he's still talking to wives here. You get that. He says, do not let your do not let your adorning be external. And then he gives some examples of external adorning. He says, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. What in the world is he talking about? Are, are you with me? Are you reading this? Like you read it and you go, he's saying you can't braid your hair? 
He's saying you can't wear jewelry or nice clothes or, listen, why all of a sudden is Peter talking about this stuff? Okay, here's my guess. You ready? Like, I don't have everything figured out, but here's my guess. I don't think he's saying that beauty is a bad thing, that you shouldn't wear nice clothes and makeup and jewelry and fix your hair. You should try to be as ugly as you possibly can be because that honors God. That's, surely that's not the same, right? No, listen. He's saying that your adorning should not just be external. Like, don't put your hope in your external appearance and adornment. Like, that's not what really, really counts. It's not in and of itself a bad thing, but if that's what you think is valuable about you, you're missing what's valuable about you. He's saying, listen, it doesn't honor your spouse to say, I can look however I want. I don't have to fix my hair, wear deodorant. Like, that's not honorable. Like, that wouldn't be honoring to my wife, and I hope that she wouldn't think that would be honoring to me. Like, he doesn't actually say don't wear these things or do these things. He just says don't let your adorning be external. And then he gives us some examples of what external adornment is. Peter, listen, he's talking about the context of a wife winning her husband over to the truth of God in Jesus. Do you understand? He's saying, wives, if you want to win them over, if you want to have impact and influence there, it's not going to come from just your appearance and outward adornment. Listen, I, I just, let me just say this. I'm not sure about this, but just want to offer this, that sometimes I think when, when wives don't get honor or attention or approval from their husbands, Sometimes they may attempt to win him over with external things that draw his attention to her. And all I'm saying is, as a follower of Jesus, the question for you is more not, how do I capture his eyes, but how do I capture his heart? Look at what Peter says in verse 4. He says, "Let but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Listen, he says, let your adorning be internal. And then he uses the phrase, a hidden or inner person. Ladies, let me tell you something the world does not say to you in all the advertisements and all the things that the world tells you. Listen, you are not an object that just should be adorned and valued externally. You are a person, Peter says. You are a person. You're not an object. You're not a body. Your character and your inner beauty matters a whole lot more than what the world says your outside looks like. You've got to know that. Don't be fooled by that. And don't let your husband, don't let anybody say that about you. Your value is what God says you are on the inside. Because beauty fades. Beauty fades. Don't put your hope in that. Don't put your hope in that. That is not your value. Some things speak louder than flashy clothes and flashy things. Your humility and your honor have a lot more lasting impact than your outward beauty. So don't settle for things that don't matter. Verse 5. Peter says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. He's pointing back to women that are an example. He's saying, look up to them. 
listen, this is how they used to adorn themselves. He said, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, again, let's, let's look at what he's saying here. He says, women, we should look up to women who've gone before you, who didn't put their hope in their outward appearance. Like their outward beauty was not where their hope was. If, and, and look at the result, what their hope was in. If their hope was in God, then they could honor and submit to their husband, not out of fear. Look, they were fearless. He says their hope was in God. So their hope, listen, I just want to tell you this. What he's saying here is, is this. Ladies, your hope is not found not only in your outward appearance or your beauty, but your hope is not even found in your spouse. Your hope is not found in your husband. It's not found in the future version of your husband. It's not found in the conversion of your husband. That is not where your hope is found. Your hope is only found in Jesus. That's where your value and significance comes from. It does not come from the man in your life. You just need to understand that. Your value and your worth comes from the fact that you are a daughter of the king when you place your faith in Jesus. You don't have to fear anything anymore. You don't have to be afraid. You have power and worth and beauty and significance, and it doesn't come from your husband. It comes from God. And if you ever think that submission to your husband is a sign of weakness, it is not at all. It is a sign of strength and power and confidence and value because you know who you are in Jesus. And you don't need anybody else's value because you already have value from what God says about you. I love when he says, do not fear anything that is frightening. You don't have anything to fear anymore when you belong to Jesus. Now, look, Peter uses the example of Sarah and Abraham, and he says, Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. Now, listen, I'm just going to tell you, this is a different culture, right? Ladies, if you go out to lunch today or go home and you call your husband my lord like they do on like Downton Abbey or something, that's going to be weird. So so don't do that like unless, unless you think there's value in it. But like what Peter is saying is he's not saying that you need to be just like Sarah and Abraham were two, you know, 3,500 years ago. He's saying, listen, what it matters how you refer to and talk to your husband. It matters. L- listen, so Susan and I, um, years ago, when we, we, I think Wilson, our oldest son, was born, but we went out to dinner with another young couple that we were, um, that we had met, and, and we went out to dinner that night, and their names were Curtis and Tina. I'm saying their names, so I hope they don't listen to this podcast. But, but, Here's the thing. We went out to dinner with them that night, and it, they were a fun couple near our age, and we were laughing and joking. But we started noticing something the whole night. She was making jokes about him, about Curtis, and they were kind of funny. But after a while, like, and he was even laughing about himself, but after a while, we're like, he's a real idiot. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't know how to do anything. Like, he's a big mess, and it's really funny. And then after a while, I started feeling uncomfortable, and she kept joking, and and I just, I mean, you know, you just kind of do that uncomfortable, awkward laugh, like, are we still talking about Curtis? And we left that night, and on the way home, we're just like, wow, I bet he didn't really, he laughed outside, but I don't think he was laughing inside. Like, I'm just going to tell you, 
listen, in our culture, this is just me talking for a second, we've made it normal and funny for husbands and dads to look like bumbling idiots sometimes in our world. Um, but I'm just going to tell you, inside, I don't know that it's the most honoring thing to do to them. And maybe we do need men to step up. Maybe we do need them to be the husbands and dads and men God's called them to be, but it's never going to happen by belittling them and putting them down. It just won't happen that way. Listen, ladies, you have the power because you belong to Jesus to influence and impact your husband, but it will not be from belittling him. It will be from honoring him. I promise you that's what Peter is saying. Now, husbands, are you ready? It's your turn. I made it through that part. All right. All right. Husbands. Sorry. No, please don't clap. My, my, I, will get, I will get feedback from my wife later. All right. Now, Peter turns his attentions to husbands. He addresses women first. Why? Because women would have had the greater struggle with this in that culture, right? Because they were more oppressed. So why wouldn't he talk about them longer? But now he, he's not going to leave you husbands out. So you ready? Peter can't ignore husbands, so seven, verse 7 says this, likewise, there's that word again, likewise. In other words, just like I said about wives, husbands, get ready. Like, just like wives have a responsibility to honor and submit, husbands, guess what? You have a responsibility to honor and submit to. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Hold on just a second. I'm telling you, just wait, we'll get there. Since they're heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, let's look at the first part. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Husbands, men, listen to me just a second. If you're not married yet, guys, listen, take this, take this advice. Listen, live with your wives in an understanding way. It means this. It's not an excuse to say, I just don't understand her. That's not okay. You are called by God. Peter is saying, you, your number one job with your wife is to understand her, consider her, consider what she needs, consider how she feels, consider how God sees her, consider what she's like and what she wants and what she dreams about. You need to study your wives, men. You need to listen to your wives. You need to date your wives. You need to think about your wives. What does she feel? What does she dream? What does she think? What does she want? That's your job. That's your job as her husband. Live with her in an understanding way. Look at the second part. He says, show honor to her as a weaker vessel now. Why in the world does he use the word weaker vessel? I wish sometimes don't you wish you could change words in the Bible and then you realize, okay, God, teach me what you're trying to say here. So listen, may I okay, so I'm gonna do my best here. Maybe it's a statement about a woman's physical strength. The problem there is that half of the women in this room could probably beat me in an arm wrestling competition. So so I'm not sure it's about that. It's obviously not a statement about a woman's value or intelligence or responsibility because the Bible makes that clear. We've already made that clear. Jesus makes that clear. You have no less value. You are not inferior. So what in the world is he talking about? 
I think he's stating the cultural issue. He's saying in a patriarchal society where men often have power over women and women are seen as weaker vessels, we should treat them different than the way the world treats them. That even though culture says you're weaker, guess what? I will honor you. That's what he says. You are to honor them. Well, how do you honor? If you honor someone, you bow down before them and lift them up above you. That's what honor means. So even though the world may say you're weaker, even though culture says you may be weaker, even though physically you may be weaker, it does not matter. As a husband, we are to honor you and lift you up and put you above myself. That's what Peter says to do. That's what a husband does. Listen, and then he goes on to explain it. He gives us two reasons for honoring her. One, she's an equal heir to you of the grace of life. In other words, listen, she, in God's eyes, is just as valuable and important to you. She has equal standing with you. In fact, she is the daughter of the Almighty God when she gives her life to Jesus. You know what that makes her? Not just your wife, it makes her your sister. How would you treat your sister? How would you want anybody else treating your sister? She is a daughter of the king. And then look at this. He says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I'm not so sure what this means. I did some research this past week, and I've done research before about this, and I'm not exactly sure what it means. But listen, I I can deduce this. That if I selfishly don't understand my wife, if I selfishly don't seek to honor my wife, then talking to God and hearing from God will be difficult for me. Are you with me? That there is something about the way I treat my wife that affects my relationship with God. Husbands, are you hearing me? If you want a relationship with God that is flourishing and good and you hear from him and you talk to him and there's an open door there, the thing that might be stifling it might be the way you honor and understand your wife. Listen, husbands and wives. If you want to find hope beyond the division and conflict that exists in marriage in our culture. Listen, women, I'm asking you to do this. Respectfully, humbly honor and respect your husbands. And again, you may say he's not honorable and he doesn't honor God. Even more reason for you to honor and respect him because you might be the example of Jesus he needs to see. And then, listen, it is high time for us to exemplify Jesus by laying our lives down for our wives. The world has told them that they only matter because of the way they can look and, and the way what they offer you, and that is not true. Your job is to know her and understand her and honor her and fight for her, not just because she's your wife, but because she's the king's daughter and an heir to his kingdom. See, here's the interesting thing. This is not just about husbands and wives. You guys, as followers of Jesus, we submit to our neighbors, our bosses, the government, our wives, our husbands. We submit because we honor the king. Look at what Peter says as he closes this. He says, finally, 
all of you, all of you, husbands and wives, single, divorced, students, everyone in this room, listen. This is what a follower of Jesus lives like. We live in a divided, polarized, every man for himself kind of world. But as followers of Jesus, we can live different from that. Peter says, have unity of mind. In other words, what if, as followers of Jesus, what if instead of being right, what, what, if, what if we sought unity? What if we sought common ground instead of division? What if instead of competing and comparing all the time, we said, you're not so different from me? Sympathy, he says. What if we thought about other people and what they're carrying more than just what we're carrying? What if we have deep compassion for our neighbors? Look, he says, brotherly love. What if we loved each other like they really were our brother and sister? What if we loved like a family loves? Like, what if that's the way we treated each other? What if we had a tender heart? You see, in this world where our hearts become hardened and we build walls because we're hurt and we feel rejected and then we don't want to be vulnerable anymore, we don't want to take risk anymore. What if when we followed Jesus and had nothing to fear anymore, we said, you can have my heart because my heart belongs to Jesus and nobody can, nobody can take the hope I have in Jesus away from me. What if we were vulnerable and risky because we belong to Jesus. What, what if this, he says, a humble mind. In other words, humility, it says that even though I think I might be right, I'm gonna, you can be right because I don't have to be right. It says I can be last in line. It says you can have a place in front of me. That's what a follower of Jesus does. It's not what the world does, you guys, but it's what followers of Jesus do. And then he says, don't repay evil for evil. But in the, on the contrary, what if we were to bless people? In other words, this, instead of paying people back, which is the way the world says to do it, what if we paid them blessing? Like, that's crazy. That's crazy stuff. It doesn't even make sense. You know, I want you to look at the phrase he uses there. He says, he says um, for to this you were called. You see that? He says, for to this you were called. Every week in this series, you know what we've been saying? That when God, when, when these people were scattered, when these exiles and refugees lost their homes and lost their jobs, and they were sent out among people who hated and reviled them, and people who persecuted them in the Roman Empire, where they had no value, no worth, they were discarded, they were pulled apart in the Colosseum, they were hung up on poles to be torches for garden parties. like. Why in the world would God allow such a thing? And Peter has said every single week we've been saying this because listen, listen, God has called you to this. And you may go, well, I don't want to, I don't want to follow a God who calls me to hard things. Well, guess what? I'm sorry, but that is our God. You are not exempt. Listen, you are not exempt from difficulty and pain and hard things. Heart is not bad. You know, I just want to say this, that if you're in a tough marriage, I hate that. But I also trust God enough that I believe he called you to be right where you are. And it might not be easy and it might not be fair, 
But I'm telling you, if you're in a tough situation, if people have reviled you or hated you or you're facing something really tough, understand that I don't think it's a random accident. I think God is right there with you, and I think he called you to it, and he will get you through it. And I promise you, it is not out. He's not surprised by it. He's not caught off guard. Listen, here's the thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer years ago wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he, he said this, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. Listen, there's this idea that when you follow Jesus, you lay down your life. You lay it down. You voluntarily say, I'm going to die to myself. Why? Because I don't want to live for my own glory anymore. My glory is too small a thing to live for. So why would we why would we seek authority and power and our own personal rights? Why do we think our hope is in those things? Our hope is not in those things. Our hope is the in, in the eternal glory of the Almighty God. That is where our hope is. That's where our significance is. That's where our value is. So listen, you can lay down your life because you have new life in Jesus. You don't have to cling to the trappings of this life. Listen, he closes, Peter closes by saying, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears upon are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He's quoting from Psalm 34 here, and I think he quotes this to basically say this, that it is God's job to repay evil, not yours. That it is God's job to be the judge, not yours. And you may see injustice and unfairness, and you may see authority doing wrong things in this world, and you may see culture that just doesn't get it right. But none of that really matters. What matters is that we hope in Jesus Christ. No matter what circumstance we face, we have hope. Listen, if your hope is in external things or appearance, it will fade. We've already said that. If your hope is in your spouse or the future version of your spouse, you will be let down. If your hope is in your freedom or your rights or your power or your position, or what the world says about you, you will never be satisfied because ultimately your hope is in you. But the good news is that hope is found when I lay my life down and say, Jesus, you are enough for me, and I will seek your glory, your mission, your kingdom over my own. And all of a sudden you do that. And you do that and you begin to live that way. You fearlessly and confidently have a hope that no one else can take from you. No one can take the eternal hope that you have in Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do something. I just I feel like we need to do this. I'm going to ask you to do this. I know this whole passage is not really about marriage, but I just want to talk about marriage for just a second. If you have struggled or are struggling with 
with division in your marriage. If you need God's help to live out your marriage the way we've just talked about, I'm going to ask you, would you just stand up right now? Would you just stand up and just say confidently, God, I need your help to live out marriage the way you've asked me to live. Would you do that? This is hard for, for us, isn't it? I mean, I, this is this kind of life is hard. It's hard in marriages. It's hard just in the world we live in. It's hard to honor and submit and respect. Listen, God's spirit and God's power are in you if you follow Jesus. And you can live fearlessly and confidently knowing that you belong to him. Let's bow our heads and pray.